Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 43 of Honest Retail. I'm super excited to be joined today by Thomas Shea from Agile. Uh, we are not going to have CJ. He's having a little bit of an at-home issue, um, so he's going to be handling that on this uh, on this episode. And, but we are obviously joined by Taylor, so super excited to have uh, both of you here. Uh, Tom, I, I know we've been trying to get you on for a while. Um, I know that you've been a listener, so we obviously uh, appreciate you for that. But why don't we serve the audience up with uh, with your background and a little bit into your past before starting Agile, and then kind of um, you know what Agile is now and, and what you're trying to to conquer with it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm excited to be here. So thanks for the opportunity, guys. But yeah, Agile Media Group, we turn um, last mile delivery trucks traveling the densest urban areas into mobile billboards on behalf of brands. Um, The magic of it lies in a behavioral psychology hack where most viewers don't know that the ads are paid ads. They think it's part of those brand supply chains. And um, it creates a really interesting story in the data that people go, oh, like, you know, their supply chain's huge. I guess they're moving a ton of products. And if they're moving a ton of product, I guess that means my neighbor's probably ordering that product. And what that does in the data from a willingness to pay, from an engagement with um, directing to my um, website traffic, retail traffic, uh, online ads, et cetera, is really interesting. So because of that, we started sort of broadly in terms of the consumer base and now specialize only in CPG, adult beverage, and um, franchises or quick service restaurants. So really interesting. Um, there's a huge like at, offline to online attribution layer behind it that I think is what really made us find product market fit and give people those actionable insights that they've come to expect from um, digital advertising. Uh, in terms of before then, don't know how I ended up here. Um, I guess I do. My family family business for the Shea family is a signs and awnings company uh, for four decades on Long Island in New York. So I guess I do have some roots in the media space but oh really there you go there yeah. you go okay. menial signs you know guys i tried really hard to not end up in this lane like i moved to la i was <laughs> in a different category meanwhile my dad was like don't go to college take over the family business and now i'm in new york in the same space and hired away a bunch of his employees as he retired so it's a really i, I guess there are deep roots there but my background was not in this space, finance, computer science, Chinese, nothing that's applicable. I placed out of marketing in undergrad, and it's not something I studied. But then when I went to business school, I was like, okay, what do you actually want to learn more about? And it was uh, marketing, behavioral psychology, entrepreneurship, and um, got a second chance at the academia stuff to do things that I, I really found interesting and was able to incubate the company at University of Chicago and bring it to market over the past couple of years. Awesome. Yeah, I think I, I shared with you, like we, when we did Techstars, we were like, we were uh, with another company that was kind of uh, doing the same thing, but not wrapping the trucks, but working on like, you know, the the cell phones near out of home marketing and being able to see like who saw that and then attribute to like what stores they went into. Um, so we were always- Was it a intrigued. street metrics? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're people that we work with. So yeah. um, Drew is a good friend of mine. Yeah, they're, um, it was awesome to kind of see what they were building. Uh, they have like a very eccentric salesperson who's like great uh, and like always a big, like a great friend during that uh, process. But uh, 
yeah, no, it's uh, it's very cool to see. I think the in-store online attribution and being able to like really have brands think more creatively about how they're reaching new customers is, is awesome because obviously that traditional uh, spend through Facebook and everything is just not getting the same CAC. Have you seen that kind of lead to to increase business this year? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, you know, we brought the product to market meaningfully in 2020. Like we talk about this all the time. There's so much luck in venture and startup plans and there was definitely some right place, right time where fundamentally nothing had changed about our business, but our relative value skyrocketed as iOS 14.5 hit because we were fully insulated as a function of how we capture data, you know, like location services has always been opt-in for the past 10 software updates. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, that's, that's when people started coming to us as opposed to us trying to come, you know, get on their radar. Yeah. And also our, our good friend of the pod, Nate Rosen, joined the team. So congrats on, on building the team and everything. So he's, it's, it's all blurry, but he is, <laughs> he's you know, is he probably, there? He's there. Oh, he's there probably ordering, ordering some snacks. Maybe yeah. I can get him to, to guest <laughs> weigh in on one of these. Uh, no, it was good. It was good to see him at BevNet and he was, he was running around toting the trucks and everything. You guys have like, the best <laughs> swag in the game. So it's always good to like see brands receive those little toy trucks and everything. But, um, Awesome. Let's let's dive into um, some brands that kind of caught our attention. So usually we just kind of uh, talk about things um, that kind of uh, we saw out in the wild uh, this last week. So Tom, we'll, we'll start with you. Any cool brands that you kind of uh, discovered this week? Ooh, good question. Um, one that's really interesting to me is Strix, uh, which is like men's cosmetics. It's something that I am just so curious to see what happens. Like you know the the Gen Z. Like, I feel like they're way less reserved. They're way more just like out there. And I think that's something traditional, like, you know, patriarch society would have stayed away from. And like all those walls are coming down. Like um, you look at pay gaps, gender disparity, all those things. And like, I think there's a ton of work we have to do. But as those things start to, um, as the gap starts to decrease over time, which I, I fundamentally think it will continue to do so. I'm curious what, I'm really curious what happens with cosmetics. Like, you know, it also looking at like hero cosmetics, that's one that I feel like has always sort of been gender agnostic and utilitarian in nature and how they pitched it. Like that's the product I've used forever. And I'm just curious to see what happens with men's cosmetics. Like it would have been nice in high school if, if I'm being honest. So that's one that's caught my eye. Um, curious what, what's caught your eyes these, uh, these days. Uh, so I recently um, got a NFG like delivery uh, last week. So Jesse Reichenstein uh, over at Repeat like runs this program where like he'll just like through the mail just send you kind of a few cool new products and like when you're not thinking about it or you've totally forgotten that you've signed up for it. Um, right. So I had a few cool ones. Uh, I, I, I always forget how to pronounce the name of this chocolate bar, but T C H O. Um, yes. Like, yeah. 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 So that was really good. Marijuana. Yeah, yeah, but the the one that really like stood out for me was I tried like the Belgian boy almond butter cake. And they're like these little like pre-wrapped butter cakes and they were they were killer. Like um they were they were awesome. I just had some the tea that came in there. It was like a creme brulee tea. It was a little out there, but I would probably buy something else from that company. But the Belgian boys, uh, that was definitely the one that stood out the most uh for me. And uh yeah, Taylor, an unhealthy choice for me. Uh, with almond butter. How about you? Are you, wait, this is a big day for me. I brought in a plant-based adaptogen, I'm reading the title, adaptogen-powered functional beverage drink for everyday performance. 
Cam, Throw Cam. any adjective on it. There you Just go. Add another adjective. Cam. Keep loading Cam. them up. <laughs> I, so Tom, I like spray, can't believe it's not butter spray in my mouth every day. So I bring a very <laughs> different perspective to these conversations. So I'm so excited. So I found out about this guy, Bar Mubarak, who started Barcode, which is the company I'm yeah, referring yeah. to. It's I, someone actually, I'll tie in the Nate thing in a minute. Um, I'll give kudos to Nate. So anyway, so about two or three years ago, like someone in, in an angel investor in the health and wellness space was like, you should, you know, connect with bar. And we, we got connected through email, but we never connected. And quite frankly, up until recently, I've always been advising founders just in hard alcohol. And then like six months ago, I started doing like not out like fake beer, fake tequila, whatever. And then started working with water brands. So the timing, a lot of this stuff is like timing. You know, right. and so Nate actually was like, have you talked with the guys from Barcode? Like they're, I think they're up your alley and obviously based on what I'm doing now. So anyway, it was, you know, 10 minutes after a call, we started working together and I got an email address. And so I really like what they're doing. Um, I don't, I'm, I've been running, Cam and I are big runners. I've been running since I was, you know, 13 years old. I, 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 I think that space is interesting. Obviously there are other brands in that, performance drink space but I, I think the the team on board is great I love bar I love the packaging I think it's beautiful and they have a lot of interesting influencers and movers and shakers yeah. and tastemakers on board initial really good traction so for me this was this is a big kind of evolution of what I'm doing I never really talk about my own stuff usually but um yeah it expands what I'm doing. I'm really excited to, and I, I love working with diverse founders. And so it fits my thesis really well. So I'm excited. Yeah. And they just raised, right? They're, they're doing yeah. well, I'm pretty sure. Yep. They just raised. Yeah. Um, but uh, b before we leave this, I, I, the non-alc movement could not be more bullish on that movement, to be honest. And I, I guess that's not a specific brand that has caught my eye, but a category that like, I think pretty soon there will be non-alc wedding at weddings. Like that will be, instead of mixing a water, it's like mixing a Gia or, you know, a three. We're getting there. I yeah, can't I mean, wait it's, to be it's honest. It's getting there. Yeah. It's, it's, an, you know, we, I talk about it a lot on the pod and, and CJ chimes in and Cam does too. It's like, I think that right now I won't go on a whole diatribe, Cam, I promise one minute, but I think, <laughs> I think, I just think in general that, there are so many brands that have come to market, which is really exciting. And I'm always of the mind frame. There's, there's no negative in my opinion with option out comes to like having some options out there for people. I think it'll be a matter of like, you know, you have the big ones like the athletic and the liars and stuff like right. that. And I think it's like, who's going to be kind of like the poor runners right behind them. And I, I think with all the capital that's being put in, like with the Keurig, Dr. Pepper news into athletic and a few of these others, um, I, I think with capital and with, you know, expansion, whether it's like distribution and new hires and just overall in, investment in these categories with some of these bigger players, I think, Tom, that we'll see more and more like concessions. And, you know, a lot of these companies are already getting into CVS and different other yeah. retailers. So I think, Rituals I think we're getting now. there. Yeah. A lot of the brands that I, I work with, a lot of the founders that now have, you know, 100 plus, 200 plus accounts in yeah. CVS and others. So I think we're getting there. I think yeah. it's exciting. And, and I agree. I think we're getting there. Yeah. Heineken spent, I think it was 2021, 50% of their total marketing budget on Heineken 0.0. .0. And like, whatever your thoughts are on that product, it clearly speaks to the categories movement um, that people are, are reading the tea leaves and looking at that CAGR and trying to capitalize on it. But yeah, one that I feel strongly about as well. Yeah. Yeah, going, going the opposite direction and bringing up something that like, uh, 
like not not non-elk but elk but like uh when i was at bevnet was i listened to fawn weaver talk uh from nearest mm, uncle, uncle nearest yep yeah or uncle oh yeah, nearest, uh, yeah yeah uncle nearest and so um I was like really impressed with her. Uh, I think they just crossed over like the hundred million dollar mark, which was really cool to yep. see. Uh, I yep. bought the product, which is like now like and my very sparse like uh, bar cart behind me. <laughs> Dude, uh, someone I, send this guy some some free product. Please. Yeah, yeah, it's like Go I got four plug you. Yeah. Plug you. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, but it was. I got you, Cam. Yeah, the product was really good. I mean, like I'm, I'm like, um, like if I had to pick like a uh, spirit, like it's probably bourbon my favorite, and I thought it was awesome, and. Uh, yeah, and uh, big fan of um, just like her whole like personality, um, and like didn't know who she was walking in, and then walked out, and she had the whole room uh, like engrossed in, in in her conversation. So super excited to to keep following them and and hopefully become a, a customer here. Keep an eye She's on uh, the truck. Keep an eye on the trucks. We're uh, close friends with them. Nice, very cool. Yep. Uh, all right, well, let's go into topic number one. So um, sure. a recent article came up from Morning Consult, which I thought was kind of interesting because um, they went over the fastest growing brands overall in 2022. And the way they measure this is by like the shift um, in consumers yeah. considering purchasing this brand. And like, <laughs> like number one is Meta, <laughs> which is like, I would say if you like picked like who had a good year, that's probably not like who you're picking as number one. But right. two was Crocs, three was Beats by Dre, uh, four was uh, Stoke Cold Brew, five Milwaukee uh, Tool. I'll go through some other ones that kind of stood out. Nine was Gatorade, thirteen was Celsius, eleven Shabani. Again, like fifteen Major League Baseball. Again, like not a sport you really think is like growing in market share in the U.S. Um, Hagen Dazs 17, 18 Frito Lay, and then and then bringing up the top twenty was Four Loco. Four Loco. <laughs> so just Four thought Loco it was super. For the win. Thought it was super intriguing. Um, thought like, yeah, what thought yeah. We can kind of go through this, and especially with yeah. especially with Tom, like you know here who's really based in ads. Would love to know your kind of background and feedback on this. Yeah, for sure. I think cool. probably when we think about the methodology of what's playing out here is it's against a baseline. So like Meta had a really tough year. So like that, their number one probably speaks to the recovery of like all of the Cambridge Analytica scandal and like how they've been probably successfully, relatively speaking, maybe not successfully at overall sort of been handling the difference between those years during election cycles and years sort of after the fact. But I think one thing that I definitely pulled up thematically is you see Milwaukee Tool in the five slot, you see Office Depot in the 10 slot, you see Adobe in a seven slot. Um, and I think that speaks to probably the shift to work from home movement. When you think about who is buying office tool, who's buying tools to work on their house, Milwaukee tools, that makes sense. Office Depot, I think everyone, you know, desks and chairs were back ordered for like a year during peak pandemic time. And Google Sheets, Adobe, probably just more like tools to collaborate with coworkers in a way that they traditionally have not had to do so sort of pre-pandemic so that's something that i definitely pulled out that can explain some of those curious taylor what are your thoughts on some of these well i actually see it interesting first i purchased a team team celsius for life um i one thing i thought would be i thought was interesting from this i agree with everything you're saying i also think too like some of social media like tiktok for example has a little bit to play into a little bit of this as well like some of these brands that obviously celsius mm, great, um, great point yeah like stock okay i'll give you an example like stock cam is definitely not a taylor cold brew i i i'm like definitely a starbucks in a jug 
type of gal. But then I saw some, you know, a bunch of people like actually across like my feeds on TikTok, like talking about sock and like, you should try it. And if you liked X, you'll like Y. And so same with, I've seen a lot with Crocs. I've seen a lot with stock, which again, like, where did that come from? Celsius obviously has notable presence on the platform. Um, so I don't know, some of these brands to me, yeah. I thought could be, there could be a correlation between like adoption on platforms like a TikTok and then like adoption kind of overall in terms of like some of these faster growing brands. I've seen them specifically throughout the platform, even like capsules. Yeah. So yeah. It's like who, it's who's navigating that change and like which way the marketing winds are blowing yeah. this year correctly. I think yeah. that's a great point. Yeah. I one other like, one. Go ahead. Sorry. Go. Yeah. I was going to no, say, I think go. the the interesting part was like more when they broke it down by um generation and then the gen z kind of breakdown like roku was one grand theft auto was two ghost energy yeah, that's a wild one yeah ghost energy which was which was highlighted all yeah. over the place um at bevnet and, and me and cj were talking a little bit uh you know things like hinge and then heinz at 15 and ucla which was kind of i thought funny like uh, yeah, what? college on there yeah um so like those those seemed like a little bit more like oh in line with like what i would assume um but i guess this is also too like realizing that like not everyone is like in that early adopter phase like which probably like all three of us are where we're constantly looking at new stuff and totally. so totally. sometimes we're like really surprised that like oh there's just companies that have been around for a while and they just continue to execute and do a great job and so that's also a big part of this as well yeah this is like a really humbling grounding experience to remind us that like all of the brands we love are actually this very for now and we, i think some of them will change that narrative but like sort of niche sort of like we are to your point mm-hmm. in that early adopter phase like that before we even go to the breakdown by generations number eight is great value cream cheese correct me if wrong it's private label cream cheese made by walmart not not exactly positive on that someone call yeah call no, the I, 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 believe, I, I believe it is i thought it was kroger at first but then i, I think it's right with the, that it being uh, yeah walmart and it's it's it gets to something completely off topic for the discussion i think we're about to tee up but like the move private label as like a, an interesting move that I think we'll continue to see just because like there's information asymmetry on, on behest of the retailers, like where they can see, okay, what's crushing and like, what's simple enough for us to manufacture, which is always just going to be an interesting moat, I guess, especially right. for like the retail first product. Um, but we'll see, like the jury's on out, I think online adoption is still super early days and that might make that more complicated but yeah back back to some of these categories i mean these are so fascinating make sure you link this out when you put the yeah Yeah, this is really cool this is a really cool cool one let's um you know let's jump to let's jump to baby boomers like it's it's sort of classic because it's just like all of the ones you would expect like t-mobile um apple Cheerios, Coca-Cola, Office Depot, Dr. Dr. Pepper, (laughs) Skechers, love that. But yeah, the one that surprised me here was YouTube Shorts. I guess I'm not that surprised because YouTube's just like a a behemoth of a company um, and that's a new product for them. But then I was like, you know what? My mom like loves TikTok actually. And there's like a whole corner of the internet from moms on TikTok. I'm sure YouTube Shorts is also the same where they're successfully capturing that and they have a, a, a larger base to sort of cross sell or cross promote that product on but yeah that short short form media man here to stay it seems 
Yeah, I always think too, it's like, it's like reels is basically just an advertisement for TikTok and the shorts is kind of as well. So it's kind of interesting that it's also getting in front of an older audience here. Um, yeah, I thought that was super surprising. I think too, like looking at the millennial ones, um, for me, you know, we're talking a lot about the non-alc movement, but like, I have not heard anybody talk about Captain Morgan now for like 15 so years since I've been out That's of college. So for me to see like that, um, like trending, I thought was super uh in intriguing for sure um and that was definitely one that stood out but the rest were like kind of made sense um except for Excel. like sad yeah Excel's on here and like <laughs> wd-40 i guess because like a lot of us are becoming homeowners i would assume yeah. or something um but uh, actually i'm pretty sure the stats are not that many of us but yeah probably probably working on our house or our, our apartments right and then i would assume DiGiorno probably that's still a covid boom um yeah, where like you saw sure. a big boost in fro like in frozen but again like just looking at this especially as an emerging brand i think a lot of us you know we love like snack shots and we love like new of like we love going to bevnet and expo west and, right like, to realize like a percent, like a small fraction of a small percentage of those brands are going to actually ever cross the chasm of being like yeah. a like well-known bigger brand. And like, if you are telling that big story of like how you're becoming like, you know, a billion dollar brand someday, like you do have to look at these brands. And I realize like at some point you're going to have to cross that, right. that niche to mainstream uh, chasm and, and do it successfully. And like, you look at the kind of the main one here that's come up over the last decade is probably Celsius is probably the one that's had the fastest growth to get on here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Surprised Liquid yeah. Death didn't make it, to be honest. I bet you Liquid Death's in every damn pitch deck these days also. as like yeah. Brand, oh, yeah. brand done right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there might be also too, like a certain like ACV that was like a metric that they had to get in front of. And I would assume like they're like, there's still like a lot of room for them to grow, even the points of distribution, even maybe in comparison to Celsius. So yeah. we'll, uh, and we'll see. Marketing looks so different for these organizations too. Like I, when I think of our friends that are like featured in Snapchat and like who I correspond with on a, from a media perspective, everyone's a growth marketer. So like everyone's caring about LTV to CAC ratio because they care about getting from zero to one and growth marketing is what hacks that. But like talking about bridging the divide at a certain scale, when we're talking to like Planet Fitness and Glossier, it becomes brand marketing. And that role like thinks and operates fundamentally different because they're able to take this sort of longer term approach because the going concern is not always solved for, but more or less like it's a fairly stable company. So it's just interesting, different levels of maturity for brands, what people focus on. For sure. Yeah. But we'll definitely link to this, uh, this, at, um, this post uh, in the show notes and everyone can kind of take a look, but I, I thought it was funny. Cause like at first it was getting kind of roasted on my Twitter feed, like, Oh, notoriously fast growing platform <laughs> meta. Um, and, but like, as you kind of dive <laughs> deep and you see like where uh, it actually came in from, uh, it makes a lot more sense, especially when you kind of break it down um, by generation for sure. Um, let's go into a topic that we actually haven't really discussed much, but I feel like it's everywhere. And it's like the Utah cookie wars. I thought it was a really cool, like article that I got through hustle, which I always tell people definitely subscribe to. It's a great, like daily newsletter, but like these cookie wars are like getting pretty serious. And we talk a lot about CPG on this podcast, yeah. and not a ton about QSR. Um, but like, this is really interesting to see and like really kind of like crazy deep roots. And again, I'll post about this, like in the show notes, but basically like the behemoth in the space is crumble cookies, no E on the end. They've got over 500 stores. Um, they're based in Utah 
And there's kind of two um, people that are um, nipping at their heels, but Dirty Doe, I think, is like kind of the big one. And there's been big issues with like people leaving, taking recipes. Uh, there's a ton of lawsuits coming out. And it's definitely ha kind of helped probably both companies in terms of exposure and growth. Like the fact that these like two um, kind of local cookie shops are going at it to a point where, like where we're talking about it. And, and most of us are based in the New York Metro area and, and we're, right. we're, uh, we deal with insomnia cookies. who seems like it's pretty uh, like uh, uh, free of, of all these issues. So um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of thought it would just be interesting to just kind of chat about like, what are our thoughts on this? Like, is kind of all press good press? Like, who cares about kind of something like this when you're seeing like the numbers go up? Um, right. Or is this kind of something that's not really sustainable? And after the allure of like the uh, the war that these two are going against, like, is there going to actually be a, a viable business to grow on top of that? So, Tommy, want to kind of kick us off? Yeah, I mean, don't take me too serious there, but I feel like uh, so uh, Crumble's suing Dirty Dough just to like frame this conversation and dirty dough's sales like increased 50 percent, and they did a fun a bunch of a bunch of fun media like cookies so good we're getting sued i personally think if you're the one suing you've already sort of lost to a degree like and i know that's not always the case and you you want to like build your moats and stuff but like it just seems like if you're the one who has to be initiating a lawsuit something you're scared, like you're on your heels. Something is happening with another company that gives you pause and you're trying to find a way to defend against it. Um, so I'm really interested to see how the cookie war progresses. I also, someone told me, if you're not being sued by at least three different people and as you're building a company, you're not moving quick enough, which is also probably terrible advice, but I thought was funny. Um, it sort of speaks to like the move fast, break things, uh, disrupt. But, you know, at the end of the day, like if there was actual infringement and IP stolen, like that's a fair concern that probably warrants a lawsuit. If it was a lawsuit to try to slow progress and pull people into some super taxing legalese that they know that they, even if they lose, come out on top because they've distracted all the executives to do discovery and diligence, you know, I guess play the hand you dealt. But ostensibly seeing people sue over cookies, I think, is... That's, that's sort of heaven for Dirty Go in this context if they come out on top because it's just such free, good free, free PR. They're clearly playing that hand right by leaning into it um, in a way that continues to promote the top line for them. Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation too for like a lot of these CPG brands that are constantly coming out with new innovation and getting knocked off by bigger CPG. It's kind of like, do you want to stay focused on what you're working on or, 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 you know, do you feel like that that's really kind of going against what you're trying to build? But yeah, I agree. Like I was listening to like an old Travis Kalanick, like uh interview, like over the weekend. And he was talking about like how he had been sued so many times before starting Uber that like when he actually started it, like he viewed the lawsuits as like a great force multiplier for press and everything. So uh, it's definitely working um, if to benefit probably both companies right now. Um, but it'll be interesting to see like how it actually ends because uh, it doesn't seem like it's too viable to keep this uh, going, but it's obviously super entertaining to the consumers. And I think that's the cool thing is like the consumers have kind of drawn their line in the sand of like, this is who I support. Uh, and you want that kind of brand conviction. Um, yeah. And like you, the last thing you want as a brand is to fall like kind of in between. Like if you can elicit a strong response, negative or positive, like that's great. And obviously these two companies are are doing that. Uh, Taylor, are you? Who are you going to to battle for here in these cookie wars? I just, don't mess I up. Agree. Don't mess up. No, I just I agree with Tom. Like I don't 
like I come from like crisis communication, like I, there's a reason they're drumming this up. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't proactively suggest that they had done this. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, I, I have always of the mind frame. Like I never like comparing brands to other brands in general, unless someone specifically asks for it. Like I, that's just how I am. I try to have every brand that I advise kind of keep their blinders on, focus on what they're doing. So I agree with Tom. Like I think there is this element of like, you know, they're trying to drum stuff up to, to kind of get recognition and awareness, which works to a certain degree, but you're also like making direct, literal direct comparisons and jabs at someone else. And maybe consumers didn't even necessarily know about the other brand, right? So I, I don't really see a lot of positive outside of like a short-term potential amount of brand awareness, which again, isn't really like the most positive. Um, so I, I, I'm, yeah, I wouldn't have advised this. I don't really necessarily think it's the best approach. And I think it's, you know, they're like, okay, like presentation of packaging. It's like, really? I don't know. I, I think this is a, kind of a source of, you know, press awareness that is very short term. And I, I wouldn't have advised them to do it. And I think that they they don't look like they're in the driver's seat here. I think that they're looking like they're just trying to drum, drum up press yeah. engagement. Yeah. And, and one analog here that I think is really interesting to Taylor's point is, like, yeah, it's it's definitely a short term. This isn't like a long term strategy. But um, Polly, the founder of Unbound Babes, a woman's sexual wellness brand. I remember when she was starting her brand, she bid on the subway placements for like out of home ads, didn't have the budget to be able to execute on it and knew that they were going to get declined, but also knew that they were supporting Roman ads that had like, you know, tongue in cheek phallic symbols. And the second she and it, the ad creative they, they sent it to me like it was not aggressive or risque at all but the second it got rejected they pr hacked the hell out of that situation went to new york times went to forbes totally put their brand on the map so i part of me also empathizes and enjoys people having to be scrappy um and like you know turn some situation into a really bright light for the brand to get on the map. And I think Taylor covered a lot of those points. It's just like, you're putting the brand that, you know, you're putting these brands into people in consumers' minds that previously probably didn't even know they existed. That's just my issue. Yeah. That's just, I wouldn't do it. Awesome. Um, yeah, I don't have any much more to add to, to this. Um, I'm just excited to see like what like is the end result of all of this. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll we'll cover both of these when they inevitably launch like a grocery uh, line and start launching CPG products <laughs> down yeah, the line that's real. here. That's real. Um, yeah, let's go into a topic that we talked a lot about when we first started the podcast at the beginning of the year, which is kind of Web3. And I, I think just having like a little conversation about like, where did we end the year? Um, you know, we had a big rush um, in Q1 of brands trying to figure out how to approach Web3. Uh, we had a lot of brands doing it in a really savvy way, like uh, Liquid Death and and Perfy, who, you know, we're all good friends with, like, and the yeah. guys over at Leisure Project um, that, you know, use NFTs as, you know, kind of a form of community and building that community and giving those consumers um, kind of a front row seat to their growth and making them feel appreciated. Um, but I think that we had a lot of bad examples as well. And then we had a lot of people running away from it, um, probably in the middle of the year thinking, okay, that was a fad. And now we're seeing kind of the evening out in that second wave, which is probably the, you know, the, the brands that are focused on utility, focus on community, right. 
and figuring out really the ways that it's going to be kind of entrenched in, in their uh, brand building. So I think the brands that actually stayed and kind of learned through the issues are going to be the ones that actually kind of win here long term, where I think a lot of people probably test the waters a little too lightly and then kind of retreated and, and now are going to stay on the sidelines. So, you know, Tom, um, we'd love to kind of know your thoughts on this. Like, where do you think we kind yeah. of end up and, and where do you think like the winning brands are going to focus on this in 2023? Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. I think the brands that use it as a tool to help them index on community are the ones that went out in this equation. I think the analog I would draw that's super in the news right now is celebrity-led brands. So like these people are, I have a thesis that any brand that starts with community, and I think of Andrea from Snackshot as a perfect example, like very ruthlessly built everything in support of a community. Um you can, if you have a strong community and a loyal following, much like celebrities do before they even get into the CPG space and start a brand, you are hedged in a way that will allow you to solve for the going concern while you figure out which way the media winds are blowing. Because media is always going to be a moving target, always going to be super volatile. In celebrity-led brands, they already have the community built in because they have a following. And so it's allowed them to leapfrog that step in the typical evolution of a CPG brand. And I think the ones that are more emerging and don't have the luxury it's very strategic to be building, whether it's Web3 or something else. I think Web3 is a nice means to an end in this context, but finding a lever by which to give the community more than you're asking for in return, just like give, 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 then ask. And I think um, that's something, you know, you talked about a perfect leisure project, a bunch of our friends in the CPG space have done successfully. More broadly, I am still have a giant question mark about Web3's application in CPG and retail over the long term. And like, this is coming from someone who grew up playing like all those MMORPG games that sort of Web3 reminds me of. The question I just have is like, what is going to pull this into the mainstream and drive mass scale adoption outside of these corners of the internet that feel very niche right now? And I'm sure it's going to be something. It feels like it's inevitable. I have yet to see something compelling enough to get the masses involved in the Web3 ecosystem. And, and unfortunately, like Dogecoin is like the closest thing I can point to. And that's definitely not the, definitely not a great mm-hmm. introduction to, to the space or, or crypto or Web3 at all. No. Right. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. <sighs> Yeah, I think the I think the utility part of things is is definitely going to be crucial. Um, Taylor, anything to add? And then, like, are your brands are are any of the brands that you're working with and consulting on still thinking about this top of mind like they were earlier in the year, or is it kind of gone to the back seat? I haven't heard anyone talk about it. No, I mean, none of the, I. It has not been literally a point of discussion at all for any of the brands. And I always, you know, I'm in the first one to say things that I I know you know, what I can speak to and what I can. I don't have much to add. I agree with what you guys have said. It's not my area of expertise. And um, no, I mean, none of the 40 brands that I work with have even remotely even like ran anything by me around it, uh, which is potentially telling of itself, right? Yeah, yeah. that marketing wind's going to keep blowing, right? It's just like, which direction is it going this this week? And um, I'm curious, have you seen anything emerge that hasn't been there traditionally, Taylor? Like, made up example, YouTube shorts that we talked about. What are people indexing towards most these days? I mean, most of it's TikTok still. It's like, obviously yeah, I think TikTok's like, yeah, it's just navigating it like with a lot of the not the specific like traditional beverage and non-alc brands. It's very, it's a huge powerful tool. Um, you know, on the, on the hard alc side, it's much more complicated because it's been yeah. years and they still haven't fully age gated the platform. So it's like, 
tiptoeing around what they could do. But I think generally um, it's, it is a continued focus on either if they already have a presence on TikTok is like, how do we continue to bake that out? And as we talked about, I think about a month or two ago, you know, they are building out an e-commerce department and hiring and do warehousing. So I think there's a ton of potential there. And especially in the non-ox space, when you think about education, huge, huge. Right. So I think TikTok is, it's not obviously like a new platform. I haven't heard anyone really talk about like be real, nothing really with like, yeah, now, yeah, good yeah. Point. And, and NFTs, like Web3, all these Twitter. things. I mean, they're, People have talked Twitter. about Twitter a little bit recently yeah. just because everyone yeah. left and now it's like a potential and ARB scenario. 100%. Yeah, I think too, and yeah. it's like you're like when brands are like you've got big hairy like things that you got to worry about next year, like capital drying up for some of these CBD right. brands and like inflation. Like I don't know if you can like focus on like what you might think is like novelty marketing as much. So a lot of this stuff might just get pushed to to 2024, uh, which hopefully gives like everyone the ability to like take a step back, take a deep breath, and like actually see what the best applications are with the brands that come out of you know next year for sure. They just don't have, yeah, just building it. That was, Cameron, that was gonna, that's what I was going to say. Like, I always like help brands, even if they're like further down the road, like mid to late stage brands, like still considering like thinking through the lens of like shoestring budget. Um, I, I, and I come from big brands. So I think the conversations are obviously considerably different in all the companies that I came from, like a Pernod and a Campari and stolen stuff. Whereas every dollar, you know, we see this, we talk about this all the time, like every dollar matters. And, you know, I, I just think a lot of these companies don't necessarily have the luxury to, to explore a lot of these different types of things at the moment. I think there are other key priorities. For sure. Um, let's move to pasta. Um, for for anybody who is jonesing for some pasta after the uh, after watching White Lotus and wanting to go to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Barilla, um, obviously, like the the classic blue boxes inside of the grocery store, uh, they're starting to go to premium um, and they're changing kind of the branding, reversing the colors, going out with like a red box with blue font uh, and going more like upstream um, for sure with like who they're trying to um, achieve and, and get to actually um, put this into their basket. I thought this was kind of interesting because like with inflation and a lot of the issues that are on consumers' minds next year, like going upstream seems like a different kind of uh, outlet to be going towards as a brand. But I also kind of resonated with what they were saying where they were like, listen, people are actually not going out to eat and that's where they're looking to probably save their money next year. So giving them a higher end experience that they can have at home is where they're actually trying to win. Uh, I also didn't realize they have kind of a nicely growing protein pasta um, some, um, brand as well. And they're also trying to get obviously with the success of bonds and everybody over there into more of the plant-based, um, you know, bean-based pastas as well. So I just, you know, it's always weird to see a brand that's built out there. It's really easy to go top down right it's easy to be a high-end brand and then come out with lower kind of not lower end but mid-market products it's really hard to be an everyday product and go upstream so i'm interested to see how this works for them uh, but taylor let's start with you on this one kind of what were your thoughts and are, are you going to be reaching for for higher price penne are you going to be going for for what you go every, with every week you're too cute cam i can't <laughs> it's just too, too much uh if i ever cooked that would be the first step. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> so, it's, let's it's, back up. It isn't. Let's yeah, they're not boxing up, up pre-cooked noodles yet. So we got to, we got to so wait. Let's back up. No, I, I used to work for Barilla. Fun fact. Um, I did. Oh. Um, 
Well, I worked, I did a lot with the South Beach Wine and Food Festival in, in the New York City Wine and Food, and they were a corporate partner. And I worked with them for a while. And I, I really loved their team. I love what they're doing. I, when I cook-ish sometimes, I, I do like Barilla. I really don't like the packaging design. Can I just be honest? I think it's, it's, I'm not a creative, but I don't like like the very like aggressive red with the, with the blue. I don't know. I don't like the packaging. I think it does look a little bit more premium, but to me, it's just like very aggressive for some reason. Um, I don't know. I think they have a dedicated base of people. Like if you like the product, obviously I have tried the protein one before. I think it's great. Um, so I, I, I think as people want to find ways to, you know, scale up or premiumize their life in, in ways that are like financially like attainable. I think this could be part of that, right? Like you're, you already have the people that like Barilla and if they are already part of your dedicated base, it's just like leveling up with them and making them feel like they have a nicer, higher, pre, you know, higher caliber product. So I think it's, I think it makes sense. I, I, um, I'm not, again, not the target for it, but, uh, other than the packaging, I think it's a really good move and I don't see a downside. So. Yeah, I think the packaging is honestly. It, it, so I've I've talked to the team at Brian and the team Robanza, right? They went with orange because like nobody it's else dangerous. was doing that, and blue was like the everyone. So they might be just going for a contrast, but the contrast is like it almost comes off as like sport sporty pasta. <laughs> like I'm like this is like a functional. <laughs> yeah like high like like a high fiber high, like i would think this might be the high protein one uh and not like like doing like a more of like a classic white box or maybe like some imagery like of like italy or different pot like pasta dishes like just like some inspiration on it uh this definitely looks like big cpg like think take material or like outsourcing yeah. to like a very high-end agency who's just like i just flip the colors and like go charge them a couple million dollars so um yeah i i too don't know if i would be like reaching for this it's also when we're talking about like just like products and like just like where are people gonna spend versus save it's like are they gonna like be as like yeah i'm like treating myself and i'm gonna go for two or three dollars more of pasta or is it like oh pasta is negligible like i usually buy like the store brand anyways and like I'm just going to spend more money on getting Rayos, right? Like, we're, like I'm just like, I don't know if like this is going to really move the needle in terms of like the customer being like, yeah, I need to spend more on this uh, when they're really thinking through like what they're going to treat themselves to or not. Um, Tom, what about you? Yeah, I think that insight's the most powerful of the whole discussion that like it is, I, I don't know, a micro luxury in this context where um, you don't want to go out. You also like want some self-care um, and yeah, so I think that's definitely like a fair motivation and one that I think makes sense. On the branding perspective and the color red, I will say there's a lot to be desired. Um, like the, the readability of the text and the copy as blue doesn't look too great. But I will say, and I don't know if this is necessarily on brand, the, the use of red in this context is probably in very intelligent. Um, not only like you know, taking a page out of Bonza's book, which did that so su successfully with the orange when everything else was blue. But red, we are conditioned as humans to see the color red and want to stop and pay attention because of what red lights, stop signs, and brake lights communicate in society. So I think they'll at least get people that on just like shock value and intrigue, whether they actually convert or not. Um, who knows, I guess, especially when price discovery is so easy at the shelf level. So Hard to say for sure. Um, 
the other thing about the color red is like from a psychology basis, it also communicates something. It's like a much harsher color, an aggressive color. I don't know if that's one that you should necessarily associate with, or and one that anyone associates with pasta. And different colors do different things to the brain in terms of what they communicate. So I feel like there was probably a way to still stand out um, in a more strategic manner than they did. But um, it will get, I think, a lot of engagement. Whether it actually converts people or not is is probably up for debate. But yeah, not not too much else to add. I uh, I think also moving upstream is is very interesting. Um, I know, and this is, I guess I'll say secondhand speculative, but like part of the Hero Cosmetics acquisition, apart from that brand being on fire and everything that you built being remarkable, was also sort of strategic to get someone in the door who clearly figured out how to market successfully and brand successfully to a millennial and Gen Z audience. And Church and Dwight, you know, massive behemoth of an aggregator, but like hasn't done any those brands are very sleepy on the surface and, and maybe that's okay but if that's what the market demands there's also a ton of strategic value of getting someone who's crushed it in that arena into the fold in that organization so that she can try to replicate that magic across their brand portfolio and, and that's something i've always thought about as probably somewhat embedded in that multiple in that acquisition is just she's a star you know she she's really good at what she does and can she do that across the other brands yeah, I, I don't have much to add on that. I think those are all great points. Uh, I definitely like when I see red, I always just think McDonald's. Uh, so it's like, it's also hard to move past mm -hmm. that for me. Um, but let's move into red our last yellow. Time. Yeah, for sure. Let's yellow move into our last. People quickly. Go for it. Sorry. It, no, 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 no worries. Um, let's move into our last topic here. Uh, it's actually something we've been talking a lot about is like the aggressiveness of KDP, uh, Keurig, Dr. Pepper. We talked about them with Athletic. Uh, now they're putting 863 million into C4, which I have never even had a can of C4. I feel like mm -hmm. that's something where I would drink and just have a massive panic attack of rush yeah. energy. Um, so, uh, interesting in your thoughts, uh, Tom, let's start with you, um, both in KDP's aggressiveness here. And then you know, your thoughts on kind of the energy wars we're seeing. I don't really know what to make of it, honestly. Um, C4, listen, I think I understand wanting to break into that category for KDP, whether C4 was the right one or the wrong one, I guess will play out over time. Um, if nothing else, C4 is about to get a, a damn fair shot at it because the distribution benefits that go along with that deal seem like that's going to become mass market real quickly. Um, but it's an interesting one. I, I guess part of me doesn't have enough intellectual knowledge here to like know what the options were if they wanted to break into that space and the different maturity of the different acquisition targets that exist. Um, but yeah, not, not one that I think I can personally say I'm a huge authority on. I'm not like a super heavy Celsius drinker energy. Like see my only introduction to C4 was like pretty gross, probably terrible for you pre-workout like one year in college and that, that didn't last very long. So who knows? You've seen what like Monster Energy has done so successfully. I think that as that's reminiscent of this exchange to a degree, where like there's a ton of SKUs, they're clearly successful. Celsius his growth has been very impressive. Um, I don't know that any of those like squarely fit in or you put Celsius clearly in energy. It's like sort of this weird hybrid, but it's you know, I'm excited to at least see how it plays out, or I'm, I'm interested to see how this at least plays out. But Taylor, what's your thoughts here? I'm still team Celsius. Um, I think I agree with Tom. I think like, look, if nothing more, like now kind of similar to athletic in a very different way, like they have 
like a behemoth, like driving. <laughs> I'm using the word drive because of Tom driving <laughs> them forward. Hell yeah. Yeah, it must be the Celsius that I'm drinking now. Right. Um, no, I, I, I like, um, I like the energy category. I don't actually. No, I take that back because, as Cam knows, like I don't actually drink really any anything else. It's not like if I don't have a Celsius that I would need something else. I'm kind. Of, Mark Gallo is like the the, the yeah. expert on so true. All the, he should come on and talk with. We should do a whole segment on energy drinks, Cam, because. There, it is right now. It is definitely heating up. And I think uh, none of us are like day-to-day like experts on it. However, I agree. I think like, again, a la like the athletic, like they have, whether or not, like obviously it's a very different, it's not like you're comparing similar companies because athletic, I feel like is a very different ball game, different categories, but different ball game in terms of where they're at, in terms of like brand recognition and sales and stuff. But look, this is the time, right? To, to, to put capital and have added distribution help to get, you know, maybe there are a few other contenders. So I haven't personally tried it. I think we're all saying the same thing, but if anything, this is their, their, their shot. So another play on the word energy. Look at that. Yeah. I think, I think actually the best thing to do is Taylor, why don't we table it for next week? Cause I think CJ would have a lot to bring to the table and we can also yeah. we can pin Gallo for his thoughts, but yeah, let's, let's table that conversation. Let's move it into to next week's episode. Uh, and Tom, I think, you know, also uh, really appreciate you coming by. would love to know where people can find more information for agile, how they can reach out to you. It'd be great to, to kind of just figure out where our, our listeners can, can get a hold of you. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. I would say, you know, Obviously, we specialize, but my superpower is all things paid media, um, though our specialty is obviously out of home. Um, where people can find us, agile.co, um, tshea0314 on Twitter. I keep getting, I didn't really want to say that out loud because people keep trolling me about the numbers. They think I'm a bot. And then um, tshea at agile.co if you need me. Happy to help with all things uh, paid media. Connect the dots for your right intros. Um you know, because this stuff's a team game. And I think everyone on this call and everyone who's listening knows that that uh, you don't get anywhere without the help of the community. And any opportunity I get to pay that forward, you know, I, I really relish in the opportunity to do so. Awesome. Great episode. Really appreciate it, Tom. Uh, definitely anybody who's listening and wants to get trucks wrapped and get that data, definitely reach out to Tom and the team over at Agile. Mm-hmm. They're building something really cool. We got one more episode before the end of the year. Uh, And we will be back next week uh, with another great episode. Thanks so much.